Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Sarah Fecht joining us. Sarah is founder of Best Self Leadership and is a sought-after leadership coach, keynote speaker, trainer, and leadership consultant. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Andy, and thank you for having me. I am excited to be with you and to connect with you and talk about some of our shared experiences. Yeah, so you, this uh, show is uh, part of our multi-part series on organizational culture. Uh, in the spirit of full disclosure for our audience, uh, Sarah and I live in the same uh, the same community, mm-hmm. and uh, Sarah is a driving force uh, in the leadership consulting uh, area in our neck of the woods. So. I really appreciate you being on the show. Sarah, I ask this question of all our guests. Uh, Please tell our listeners your backstory. I'd love to. So I have had an amazing career thus far. I love the journey that I've personally been able to take. And what I've done is I've worked in human resources, got a degree from Viterbo University, go V-Hawks. And uh, that is where I did my undergrad here in La Crosse, Wisconsin. It brought me to the area and I never left. I'm still within this area. I did a master's degree, an MBA at UW-La Crosse. And I've had the pleasure of working in a wide variety of industries. The position I typically held was leading human resources in those industries. But the experience of working in a plethora of industries, everything from construction to retail to trucking to city government um, to finance industry. It's really allowed me um, this versatility to connect with so many different people. And I've watched that play out. And it's also helped me understand that at the end of the day, people want to be seen and supported, right? So what that did was approximately four years ago, I decided to start my own company, Best Self Leadership. And that's allowed me to help impact the lives of leaders everywhere, right? And when we're able to connect with leaders, it has a ripple impact within our organizations, within our communities, and within within the nation and beyond. So it's it's really cool to have been able to take that um, ride. And I'm really thankful for those experiences that I've had. That's awesome. So... I, I like to ask the rocket booster question, that accelerant moment uh, in, in your career. You made a personal choice to go out on your own, hang up the shingle. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your key accelerant moment? Um, I think I'm actually going to say it's going to have been back when I first was in college and had a job. And I wouldn't have even called it like my real job, right? It wasn't the job that I had a degree with. Um, But what it was, was that ability to change and take on another job. So leave the job that I had to take on another job. And here's why I believe that that's an accelerant is because I've been a part of so many different lives and careers of others that are scared to make a change, right? They start somewhere and that's where they stay, not because it's fulfilling, it's rewarding, it's helping them win their day, but because they're scared of the change. So my accelerant for me was taking that, having that first change and making that first step and not being 
allowing the fear to stop me from trying something new and different. And that I saw consecutively through the course of my career. And thus, you know, I am definitely the person who at one point said, I will never own my own business. I would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny in some ways, because in HR, like the two words that we say you should never ever say are always or never. Like you don't use those in performance reviews, right? You should not say those words. And I had said, no, I'll never start my own business. And sure enough, four years ago, I was like, uh, I'm I'm going to put all the eggs in my own basket. So I'm I'm going to start this and it has been good. So when you were in college that 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 major change where were you coming from and where were you going to? What I I kind of missed that in the in your description. What what was the what was the big change that you made? Yeah. Yeah, so I would actually say it was my first job out of college. So I will go with that it was the first job out of college. Um At that time, I was doing human resources and also dispatching for the organization. And the leader at that time really uh, enjoyed the way that I was able to connect with people. And dispatching can be a, a unique job. You work with a lot of different personalities. And he wanted me to go down that path and not utilize the human resource experience that I'd been training in. And I thought, hmm. You know, I, I appreciate that he sees this path for me, but that's not the path that I see for me. So I decided to make a change and uh, became an HR manager at a, at a different organization. And so awesome. I think that that was the point. Awesome. Excellent. So tell us about best self-leadership. Uh, what's your primary area of focus in your practice? Yeah. So my primary area of focus is doing one-on-one leadership coaching, meeting leaders wherever they're at in their journey. So I work with everybody from somebody who's brand new to leadership to somebody who's in the C-suite and is, you know, oftentimes well-versed in leadership, helping and partnering with them for wherever they're at and supporting them, challenging them and uh, walking those, those steps with them. I have that. And then also do training and speaking. I love the, the mix, you know, in leadership coaching, I'm able to form these really deep relationships with individuals and training and speaking, you know, you meet many people, but it doesn't go very deep oftentimes. Right, right. So, Sarah, this episode is part of the our mini-series on organizational culture. What does culture mean to you? So, I really see culture as the expectations that we have in the environment that we're in and how it's lived out. So as you think of organizations, right, certainly we're going to talk about uh, what it looks like in business, right? So in organizations, what are the expectations that we have of the people that we have in our, our organization? Now, a lot of times those can be policies and procedures, right? We think to that lens, but there's also the unwritten expectations that we have of each other and how we dialogue with each other and how we interact with each other, how we either hold people accountable or don't hold people accountable to the expectations in the organization. And through those experiences, a culture is created. Now, I would argue we have it in our families, too. And in our friend groups, we have the cultures that exist. Um, but I don't say we're specifically talking about in the workplace. And how is that either intentionally created within an organization or 
unintentionally created. So I, I love this frame. Uh, this is in this mini series. Uh, you know, we we we're, we're talking about the definition of culture, and there's this uh, really a, a, stru- a, a focus on behaviors. Uh, uh, but but what I'm hearing you say is we have a set of expectations, and then we have reality. We have what actually happens. And uh, if I if I just extend a bit what you said. In a great culture, expectations and outcomes are aligned, and everybody sees uh, that that alignment. And in a bad culture, a poor uh, a poor culture, expectations and outcomes uh, are are mis are misaligned with one another. Is is that really the the crux of what you're trying to get across? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, boy, I really, I really, I really like that framework. I think you should write a book about that uh, that that framework because at our at when we met at tea uh, at, at coffee, you were talking about maybe a book in your future. Yes, uh, that there, there's your that's your book. I think is because because as I look out at the sea of uh, other such uh, you know kind of books on culture out there, uh, it 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 doesn't get boiled down as succinctly as, mm-hmm. uh, as what you just described. So I think there's room in the canon of all business books uh, for, for that, uh, th- that ex- expectations misalignment. That's really, really cool. So Sarah, let's talk balancing acts. If you're a corporate decision maker, the chief human resources officer, head of HR, in charge of improving an existing organization's cultural landscape, what's the most important balancing act that you have to consider before getting started? Yeah, if you're looking to make a change to culture, perhaps put a lot more intentionality behind it than has been. To me, the number one most important question to be asking is, what is the commitment level of the leaders that have the most influence in the organization? It, you know, I think many organizations mess this up because they think that this is held with HR. Yeah. Or even the fact that they think that this is held with one person, right? So I worked with a CEO who felt like he was the culture king. Well, yes, he certainly has a high impact in the organization. However, I would argue that it's the, all the leaders with high levels of impact within the organization and high levels of influence within the organization that have to have that heightened commitment and awareness to the culture that you're trying to create if you're going to have success. Yeah, so the, you know, the I, I like this kind of king of the culture, the, the CEO is the driver of really any culture because if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying to, put together some big uh, change initiative, make an impact on the, on the corporate culture. And if the C-suite's not buying in, uh, you're not going anywhere. Uh, but it, it, let's explore just a little bit more this, uh, if, if the CEO is, uh, is driving, let's say a, a bit too hard, what, what's, what's the issue with that? Because it has to be felt at all the different levels, Right. 
So what's yeah. fascinating, right, is you can say that, you know, here's our, our mission, our vision, our values, all of the beautiful things that we can create, usually at that C-suite level, right, that we say, this is what we want for our organization. The reality, though, becomes, you know, the accounting department has a different culture. The human resource department has a different culture. All those different segments create their own unique cultures within this overarching framework. And if they're not all aligned and succinct, it, that's where we become dysfunctional, right? And things yeah. don't, don't line up. Yeah. So just because the CEO says it so doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that, that that's going to propagate down and through the organization without the CEO really connecting with uh, all of those, uh, all, all of those teams and embracing the subcultures that, uh, that exist at the same time as, uh, as, as uh, rolling out the, the, the organization's uh, culture in total. Is that, is that what, is, is that the advice you'd have for a CEO to get that balance right? Exactly. It's going, okay, so what are, you know, those, the vision, values, expectations, you know, the things that you've created in words, how are they actually lived out? How are they actually breathing and how do they come to life within the organization? Because otherwise they're just great words on paper. Yeah. And it doesn't take long for somebody to realize it's just words on paper. It's not what we actually do here. Right. And that lived experience is going to be different in different departments because the, the, work, the work is different. The backgrounds are different. Is, is that where you're going with that? Yep. And the personalities are different, right? And how that leader chooses to embrace the values of the organization or not embrace them. Right. It becomes this. How are we then holding each other, ourselves and the leaders of our organization accountable to the culture that we're trying to create can oftentimes be the downfall. So embracing the diversity of thought and opinion and ways of working uh, between the accounting department, which is going to potentially be a bit more buttoned up versus marketing, uh, for example, that might be uh, um, not to stereotype too much, but uh, maybe a little more fun uh, in, right. in, the mar in the marketing department, just as an example. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's take a really quick commercial break and we'll be right back with Sarah Effect. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability? The Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step -step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today wherever books are sold. And we're back with Sarah Feck, talking about the world of corporate culture. Sarah, let's run a thought experiment. I like doing these. Suppose you're talking to a mid-level manager or an individual contributor working in a business or institution who believes their company's corporate culture is suboptimal. They probably feel stuck and powerless. What advice do you have for this individual who's in the middle to make a difference? Great question. 
because I've, I've certainly seen this. I've certainly, you know, to be honest, I've felt this. I've felt like I've been that person sometimes in organizations. And I think it's really important to remember that each of us as individuals have influence. So how am I going to use my influence in the organization I'm in, right? I'm not going to be able to necessarily make anything perfect because guess what? There's no perfect organization to begin with. Right. So that can't be the bar. But how am I, what am I willing to do to continue to loop, to utilize my influence? So the average person influences 10,000 people in their lifetime, 10,000 people. And that's the average person. So not somebody who's a CEO or in sales where you know they're going to have a very large network. It's just the average person, 10,000 people. So I think sometimes we, you know, we discount the influence that we have. So if you feel like you're in that place, how can you use your influence? The other piece, because I am somebody who values change and willingness to change, that you're not stuck right? Like we all have a choice of where we choose to use our time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. So if this isn't the environment where that is valued, then we can reconsider, right? And now I'm not saying that you should run, you know, you have to look at all the, all the writing on the wall, right? And see if it's an environment where you're going to be able to grow or if it's an environment where you're going to be stifled. Yeah, in uh, in my first book, I I have a quote that uh, the gr the grass is not greener on the other side; it's just different grass. Yeah, <laughs> and right. Uh, so, but let's get back to uh, this the concept of of influence because mm -hmm. there are loads of people in your organization, and when I say you, I'm talking to the the listeners in. Uh, of this show, in your organization, there, there are a lot of people who really believe that they are not influencing others in, in their day to day. They feel like a cog in a very big wheel and they, and they don't have uh, uh, an ability to influence. How do you, how do you help that individual who believes that they're powerless and lack influence in the organization to embrace uh, the fact that they are going, going to influence 10,000 people uh, in their life. Yeah. So I think one of the ways that I do this is through asking somebody to identify and think about who their mentors are, who are the people that they look up to, and then not only thinking about those leaders that have been influential in, in their life, what are the characteristics and behaviors of those individuals? When you actually identify the characteristics and behaviors of those individuals, what you'll find are things like, they cared about me, they listened, they valued me, um, they were courageous, they allowed me to use my voice. You know, so many different characteristics and behaviors. Every single one of them that I just listed and what I've always found to be true when doing this type of exercise with somebody is that all of those behaviors and characteristics are a choice that each of us have every single day. Every single one of us. So it's not about a title. It's not about how smart I am and the technical knowledge that I have. That's not what is necessary to be an influential leader and a leader worth following. It's making time for people, showing people 
how you're going to see them, that they've been seen and that you're there to support them. And how do, how do we carry that out? And once people realize like, oh, oh yeah, you're right, right? It's not about having the corner office or the company car or cell phone paid for. It's about recognizing that I can show up as a leader every single day, regardless of whether or not I'm, you know, given people that I am responsible for supervising. Yeah. Yeah. Helping individuals see that, uh, not, that they have a voice uh, as mm-hmm. well. And that they, maybe they've been looking up to mentors and coaches uh, thinking that they have the voice and they're listening to that voice. But I, I love your frame that on the other side of that, the the individual who's listening to their mentors is also likely being viewed as a mentor and a coach by somebody else in their life. And as you said, how are they showing up uh, for that once once you real once you realize that it's happening on the other side uh, as well? So thank 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 you so much for that. Uh, another thought experiment. Mm-hmm. The other side. Yeah. Now you've got a CEO sitting right in front of you right now, and that CEO's been quote unquote sold a few times on gimmicky programs to improve corporate culture. Maybe they came home with some book that is the three things, blah, blah, blah. And that hasn't moved the needle. They don't want to give up, but frustrations building. What advice do you have for the CEO to put them on the path to success? It always starts for me with asking lots of questions, right? To try to identify what's working and what's not working. Because if we're not having success, then we have the opportunity to learn, right? So we have to dive in a little bit deeper and figure figure out, you know, is it because it's just being viewed as a, what we call like flavor of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Came back from a conference. Oh my gosh, look at this. Right. I just read this book. Cool. Look at this. So what are the things that we've created to make it sustainable? And and that's the piece, right? If we're going to have a culture that's intentional, it has to be sustainable. So what are the tools, the resources? What is that framework that we've put in place to create that culture and ensure that it's not going to get rocked? And if it gets rocked, right, or misshaped in some way, way, shape, or form, how are we making sure that we're course correcting it and and fixing it as we go? So to me, it's all about starting to ask those questions, right? Well, what's not working? Is it that the leaders aren't bought in, which, you know, was the, the point earlier, right? Who on your leadership team is bought in and where might we, as an organization, might we be giving somebody a pass and be like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, the genius jerk uh, down the hall who's uh, mucking things up for for everybody else, and and really, you know, in your list of questions, what is the definition of success? Because success means different things to different people. It means something different in the marketing department than it does in in accounting. Uh, so I, I love your framework of uh, really first asking questions and then starting. Uh, to uh, down the road of of implementation once that's all understood. So, yeah, Sarah, we're all works in progress. You're a leadership coach. What are you focused on right now in your personal journey of growth as a leader? Yeah, 
Thank you. So each year I establish goals for myself. I am that person who loves to have goals. Um, I put them into different categories that are important to me. So I've got relationship goals. I have business, my personal business goals. And then I also have financial goals and wellness goals. So those are like the four big categories that I focus on each year. I make annual goals and break them down to monthly. It's it's calculated for me. I appreciate that and enjoy that. And one of the things that I would suggest is one that everybody could latch on to is reading books. Reading books. So that is how we have that ability to learn from others and be influenced by others people that we may never connect with, that we may never meet. Um, I heard a startling, for me at least, startling statistic the other day that was half of all adults didn't read a book this last year. Mm. And I was surprised, yet I also thought to myself, no, my life where I haven't made time to do that either. Yeah. So that's one of those things that I've put more intentionality behind And I think that, you know, you want to set yourself apart. There's only, you know, there's less than 50% of people doing this. So how are we learning and growing? And the way that we do that is inviting in new information. Yeah. Yes, I lament frequently on how unread our uh, society is uh, these days and we're consuming information in these little bitty bits and how can you really uh, weave a tapestry of knowledge and information if you're just getting uh, these these little bitty pieces uh, along the way so thank you for that advice Uh, Sarah we've got to wrap up the show what's next for you and where can folks connect awesome uh You know, I will be working leadership coaching in 2024, speaking, keynoting. So I'd love to connect with you. Uh, I value the relationships I'm able to create and the network I'm able to build. Uh, The best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn, Best Self Leadership or Sarah Effect. Otherwise, check out my new website, www.bestselfleader.com are the top two ways to connect with me. I look forward to connecting in 2024 and beyond so that I can serve and partner with you to help you bring your best self. That is awesome. Thank you so much for that. Sarah, you've been a wonderful guest today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Andy. So my name's Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. We're available on all the major streaming services as well as out on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share this public good with your colleagues. Have a great day.